Uh, Y'all, like Mike said, my name is Nick Swearingen. I work here at the Block KC. Uh, I'm really just, I I get really excited about Thursdays. Like, I cannot tell you how much I look forward to it. It is a lot of work. But just getting to come and be here with you all, getting to learn more about what it means to be a young adult, to be a young adult, and how to follow Jesus, it just, man, I get excited about it. So I just wanted to say that you guys are very welcome. Uh, If you have never been here before, like Mike said, uh, stop around back. Figure, or sorry, I just realized that my notes are all out of order, so we're just going to have to redo that real quick. There we go. Okay, now we're good. Uh, Y'all, so we are continuing our Second Timothy series tonight. It is obvious I am not a good multitasker. Can't speak and reshuffle notes all at once. Uh, but we're going to be continuing, or continuing our look at Paul's letter to Timothy and, and how Paul tells Timothy to live out our purpose in following Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, Charlie gave us an awesome intro to Paul and Timothy's life and told us about how Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he's saying and encouraging him to not be ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. And if you weren't here, here's a really, really quick crash course into Paul and Timothy, right? So Paul was a Jewish religious leader, and he was throwing Christians in prison and making death threats against them. Then he meets Jesus. And his life is radically transformed. He actually becomes a missionary and travels around telling people about Jesus. So talk about a serious 180, right? Then he he meets Timothy sometime after this, and he brings Timothy along, and he starts investing in Timothy's life. And so that Timothy can learn how to follow Jesus. And now many years later, when this book was being written, this letter is being written, Paul is about to be executed, and he's writing a letter to Timothy to encourage him one last time. And, and before we get into the book and before we resume our place, I want to tell you guys a little bit of a personal story so that you guys can uh, hear this, and I think it's really fun. So first of all, I want to introduce you to my dad, speaking of father figures. Um, that's him and my mom uh, that was taken on Monday. They just got back from Colorado. Uh, it was really fun to go out and see them and hear about their trip. You're probably like, I don't really care about their Colorado trip. They're sweet parents, okay? You, you got to love them. They're really great. And honestly, one of my favorite things about my dad is that he loves to give presents. Like he, I would show, like any time that when I lived with my parents that I was away and was coming back, I would show up and there would be something on my bed. Like maybe it was a bag of candy, maybe it was a shirt, like maybe it was some new game or something like that, some decoration for my room. But almost without fail, every single time I left and came back, there was something on my bed. And so around 10 years old, I walk in, and there's a brand new Spider-Man kite sitting there unopened on my bed. Now, I'm 10 years old. Spider-Man was by far the coolest superhero. We had just gone to Universal Studios. So I'm thinking, like, man, this is amazing. Like, I love this gift. This is so cool. Uh, I don't know how to fly a kite. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like, I don't even really know, like, what it is. I've never flown kites before. And so I just look at this thing, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. My dad gave it to me, so it must be great. I don't know what to do with it. And so I do what you do with any good gift that you, uh, you know, any good gift that you like, but you don't know what to do with. I stuck it under my bed. And it stayed there until about Monday when I took this picture. And I asked my parents, I said, Dad, do you still have that Spider-Man kite you gave me 18 years ago? And surely I'm thinking no. But because my dad has never thrown away anything in his life, He goes down into the basement, and he brings out the Spider-Man kite. And it is now sitting in my trunk out in the parking lot. And I said, Dad, will you take me out 
and teach me how to fly this kite like I should have asked you to teach me 18 years ago. And so it's going to be a really, you know, great father-son uh, father bonding moment. I think it's going to be amazing. I'll tell you guys how it goes sometime else. Um, but ultimately, what does that have to do with tonight? You're like, Nick, great heartwarming story. So what? Right? Uh, all of us are either being offered a gift or we have received a gift. But the question is, do I know what to do with it? Because ultimately, g gifts are given to strengthen a bond or deepen a relationship. And the best way to know God deeper, who is the only source of life or joy or purpose, is to use the gift of faith that he's given us. Charlie talked about last week, we have to fan this gift into flame. But the question is then, like, how do I do that? How do I fan this gift into flame? See, some of you here tonight, you have a relationship with God, but you stuck it under your bed because you don't know what to do with it. Like, you have no clue what to do and how to follow God. So you just stuck it under your bed and you're saying, man, I'll figure it out at some point. Some of you, you're investigating a relationship with God. And you're trying to figure out, do I want to follow Jesus? And so this tonight will honestly be, this is what you're getting yourself into if you commit to following Jesus. And some of you here tonight, like, you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you need a refresher or an encouragement to stay with it because you know that flying a kite is not always easy. And sometimes there's some real windy days where sometimes your kite ends up in a tree and it gets a little battered and bruised. And you'll know more of what we're talking about later. But what is the purpose of our gift of faith that God has given us? See, the first and primary purpose of our gift of faith is to love God with all of our being. Because that's what the gift is. It's a relationship with God. That is what the gift was intended for. And so the primary way that we love God is by obeying his commands. I'm going to use the term walking deeply with Jesus, throw up a definition for y'all. It's having a deep relationship with God and making it your primary goal to know God deeper every day. I might use the term abiding with God. I might use a couple other terms, but that's what walking with God is. And that is the core of all of God's commands is to do this. This can look like praying and celebrating God. It can look like reading and obeying God's word. It can look like serving other followers of Jesus in a local church. Uh, but mostly it is just you make it your primary goal to know God every single day. And so all of these commands that Jesus has given us are things that we can be obedient to. But there's one charge or command that God gave all of his followers, and it's Jesus' last command before he left the earth. And it's called the Great Commission. And this is his final charge to the church, his followers. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that brings up our goal tonight of looking at Paul's letter to Timothy, and more so God's word to us, is that what does it mean to make disciples? That is our goal for tonight. How do we figure out how to use this gift of faith that God has given us to know him deeper through obeying his command to make disciples? Yeah, real quick, though, disciple is not a very common word. Uh, so I've got another definition. It's one who follows another's lifestyle, code of conduct, worldview, and heart attitude. Uh, more than anything, though, like it is just inviting someone to follow you and, and be a part of your life so that they see your heart. That's really at the core of what a disciple is. So then making disciples is inviting someone to be a part of your life so they can learn and live out your core attitudes. I might use the term reproducing your life, 
I might use the term entrusting your life to someone. I might use the term investing in someone. Those are all terms that we'd use for making disciples. So a little bit of definitions for us. That way we can kind of get all on the same page. Because Jesus is telling us to make disciples of him. Which means that our main purpose is to know God through inviting people who are not followers of Jesus to become followers of Jesus and then to grow to maturity by walking deeply with Jesus themselves. And for all of us here tonight, just like flying a kite, I, so I found this out, right? Like my parents tell me that the day before I was born, they took my sister out and they flew kites out in the field that as now actually Johnson County Community College. I don't know if that was there at the time. I'm like, I don't think I'm that old, right? But they took them out and my parents tell me, hey, Nick, flying a kite is, part, is a part of your history, even though I didn't really know it, right, until they told me that. And just like in the same way, making disciples is a part of the history of every single person here tonight. See, the only reason why any of us are in this room tonight is because God used someone to share with someone else about Jesus. And that person came to faith and is now here. And then, and then they learned how to follow Jesus. And that's really the only reason why any of us are here. So making disciples is a huge part of your history, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. It is the only reason why we're honestly here tonight. So we're going to look at what does Paul say to Timothy about how to live out this command to make disciples. Because, see, Paul wanted, like, his goal in life was just to know God deeply. He says it in other places in the Bible. It's honestly one of my favorite verses. I'm not going to quote it. But he talks about that everything is just, it pales in comparison compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And he's like, I don't care what else I get in life as long as I can get Jesus. Because he sees that God is the source of all of life and all joy and all happiness. And so he says, I just want to know God. And he wants Timothy to have that same just abundance of life that Paul has experienced. And so we are going to look at how does Paul tell Timothy to get to experience that same kind of life and carry on the purpose of making more disciples and more followers of Jesus. And we're going to be reading from 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to find it. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's right after 1 and 2 Thessalonians. It is also after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. makes a lot of sense. But hey, if genuinely, and I say this not as a joke, if you are new to the Bible, we love that you're here. Like if you don't have a Bible, stop by the connection table afterwards. We'd love to set you up with one. We'd love to get you connected to someone who can help you read the Bible. Um, but I would just encourage you, God's word really is an amazing thing, so don't neglect it, because it really is uh, the source of how we know God. So again, that's if you're new to the Bible, then we're going to open up to 2 Timothy, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. God, I, I just, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for all these people um, that are just excited to learn more about you, and God, I, I know that we are probably in some very different places in this room, and so God, I pray that if there are those of us here who need an encouragement in making disciples, God, I pray that you would encourage us. God, if there are those of us here who aren't sure what that means, God, help us to learn how to practically make disciples. And God, if there are those of us here that are not following God, God, I pray that they would see you for who you are and the amazing truth of how much you love us. God, I pray that you would enable me to speak clearly in the way that I should to honor you and be faithful to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you remember last week, Paul has been talking to Timothy about how to be unashamed and sharing his faith with Jesus. And now he's giving Timothy this rundown and how-tos for some making disciples and how to entrust his heart for God to others. He starts off in 2 Timothy 2.1. And he says, So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. And we're going to look at four things here. 
We're going to look at Paul's relationship to Timothy. So where he says, my son. We're going to look at the people around Paul and Timothy, where he says, the presence of many witnesses. We're going to look at Timothy's goal to reproduce his life unto others, or entrusting to faithful people. And then we're going to look at Timothy's goal to help those invest their lives into others still, which is be competent to teach others as well. And so, honestly, starting off with the first one, Paul calls Timothy his son, which is honestly like a very, like, close-knit thing. And he's calling him his son because Timothy literally sees Paul as a father figure. And now, I don't know, some of you might have great relationships with your dad, and you might love classic rock as a result. Uh, I love that meme. That's not mine. I can't take credit for that. Uh, Some of you all might not have a great relationship with your dad, and honestly, the topic of father figures might be a little painful for you. Uh, But wherever you're at in that, I think we'd all agree that fathers are incredibly important. And the the question is why? It's because it's someone who helps us learn how to navigate life. It's someone who helps us like we see how they do things, and they teach us how to navigate, and they teach us how to treat other people, they teach us how to have relationships, how to handle money. And so we need that father figure in our life. And Paul is saying, Timothy, that is how I see you, as my son. Even though he's not his biological son, he's saying, I see you as us. We are that close. We're that connected. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, take everything that you've ever heard from me, like all the discussions that you might have with a father figure, all the habits that you might see them do, all the tasks that you might see them do, all the the lessons, the late night chats, the discussions, like his whole way of life. And I want you to go and entrust that to another person. And, And that's our first key with making disciples. In order to make a disciple, you have to first be a disciple. And how do you live as a disciple? How do you be a disciple? You walk deeply with Jesus. I'm gonna say that a lot, but that really is it. You walk deeply with Jesus and you learn from someone else. Timothy had traveled around with Paul for years. Like so much so that Timothy could basically tell Paul and tell anyone else, hey, this is exactly what he would do in this situation. And he saw them as his father figure, so he knows exactly how Paul follows Jesus. And Timothy has been watching him and he's been learning and he's basically his protege. And this is the thing though, it's not private either. And that brings us to our second point. It's in the presence of many witnesses. Which means that Paul was teaching Timothy this stuff in public. And this is honestly one of the first keys to making disciples is you can't isolate. If you want to be a disciple and learn from someone else, you cannot isolate and just be with you two all the time. Right? Like you have to get out in public. You have to get around people, Christians, non-Christians, everyone. Because you want to see not just what they know, but you want to see how they live their life. Like you want to go out and you want to run errands with them because you want to see how they treat the clerk. Like the clerk. Who calls him that? The cashier. I lived overseas for a couple years. Give me some grace. You know, you want to see, like, how exactly do they handle difficult situations? How do they treat their family? How do they treat their friends? And a lot of times the temptation is just like, well, let's just hang out a little bit. And, like, that's how I'll become a disciple is just by meeting with someone every so often. But that's not it at all. The goal is that we would learn someone's entire way of life, which means it can't just be this super structured thing. And we have to get around someone so much so that we can say, just like Timothy and Paul, hey, I know exactly what the person who's discipling me would do in any given instance. And that's the goal of first step of being a disciple, or of making disciples, is first being a disciple. And if you've never had more mature believers invest in your life, like this is your first application right here. Your first application. Find men or women in a healthy church 
who love God and get to know them and ask God to use them to change your life. And then you ask them, will you disciple me? And then you show up and you live life with them and you make yourself available and you get around them in public and you see how they work and do everything and live their life focused on Jesus. Like that, if you have never had that, that is your first step tonight. Is find someone to disciple you. Find a man or woman who loves God above anything else and ask them to disciple you. And now that brings us to the second point is that Paul tells Timothy to entrust this to faithful people. And why faithful, right? Like, why do we need someone who's faithful? I'm sure he could have filled in the blank with a lot of different things. Why do we want someone who's faithful? And it's because this is valuable. Like, this is, this is Paul's heart for the living God. This is something that he treasures more than anything else in the entire world. Like, let's say that you've got a million dollars, and you're like, Nick, if I got a million dollars, I'm going straight to Cabo, like right now. I don't know, do people go to Cabo anymore? Is that where we go? Where do we go? Yeah, there we go, Cabo. Hey, let's go. But let's say you've got a million dollars, right, and you have to invest it in someone else. Who are you going to choose? I'm going to give you two choices. Your friend, who's a successful investment manager at her financial planning company, or your buddy, who's continually asking to bum a cigarette off of you because he has no money, right? Who are you going to invest in? The person who's faithful, right, because they've proven that they know what they're doing. And why do you want some of them to be faithful? Because this, is, this matters and it's valuable and you want them to show up. And after you make that investment, you don't want them to just go waste it on cigarettes, metaphorically. And if you don't know smoking's bad for you, just so you know, smoking is very bad for you. Don't smoke. That's, that's your next application. If you smoke, please stop. But what does it mean to be faithful? We're going to do a little bit of a, a self-eval time right now, okay? Here's some questions. And this might sting a little bit, so bear with me. Am I a faithful person? Here's these questions. Do I follow through on my word even when it hurts? Can I be trusted? Do I show up when people need me or do I bail on my plans? Do I make time to walk deeply with God even when I'm busy? What about even when I'm going through a tough time, do I walk deeply with God? What about even when I'm going through good times, do I still walk deeply with God? Do I take initiative to grow spiritually or holistically? Am I humble or do I think that I already know everything there is about God? And most importantly, do I have a heart that loves God above anything else and truly loves other people and sees them the way that God sees them? Those are some self-reflection questions that we can ask. Am I a faithful person? Because, like, why would anyone invest a large sum of money in you if, you if you never followed through on your word and you never showed up and you didn't really even care about them? Right? Like, that would be a bad investment. And, and so if you want to be invested in or you want to invest in someone else, you have to find the person who's demonstrated some faithfulness. Now, I'm not saying they got to be perfect, but I'm just saying, do they show up? Like, are, do, are they a faithful person? And if you are looking for someone to entrust their love for Jesus in you, like tell them that you are willing to commit to learning from them and then just show up. Like follow through on your word and do whatever you can to get around that person. I promise you it it is one of the best ways. I would probably say the only way that you can truly learn to grow as a disciple is to be that faithful person first. And that brings us to our final point because then we want to go out and teach others also. 
And so Paul tells Timothy that they have to be other to teach others. And, hey, I am not saying, right, like someone has to be able to get up and give a talk at the block. Like that's what they have to be able to do if they want to make disciples. Not what we're saying at all. I'm also not saying that they've like got to be a teacher in a classroom and they've got to be able to figure out lesson plans and get that all sorted. And by the way, if there are teachers in here, I have mad respect for you. I helped out at VBS this week. I was in charge of second grade. Let me tell you, I cannot understand how to get second graders to pay attention for more than five minutes. Like, they were really fun. They had a lot of energy. They were adorable. But I'm like, hey, I've never said chip clip on your mouth more in my life than I have these past four days. We got a lot of respect for teachers here. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about classroom teaching or speaking on stage. We're talking about a teacher that walks deeply with Jesus themselves, and they read and obey his word, and they love other people, and they're excited about it because they want to share it with other people. That's someone who's qualified at teaching. Let me tell you guys why, right? Like, so when I was in third grade, I had a teacher named Mr. Schwepler. Mr. Schwepler, if you're out there, shout out to you. Uh, I doubt he's listening to this. That would be a shock. Uh, but he was a fantastic teacher, and there's one main reason that I remember him as my third grade teacher. It's because he loved reading. When we were at lunch, Mr. Schwepler would be eating at his desk and reading. When we would have busy work, I can't remember what busy work we had as third graders, but he would just be reading, like when we weren't doing something. He would read to the class when we had free time, and he actually would go through and pick out a specific book for each of his students that he thought they would enjoy. And so he gave me a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia. And I went home, and because I saw how much Mr. Schwepler loved to read, I wanted to read. And so I read that book, and then I read the next one, and then I read the whole series. And as a result today, I love to read, just because I had someone show me that he loved to read too. See, Mr. Schwepler was not the guy who taught me how to read, right? Like I had learned that several grades before, I hope. He was also, he didn't go on these long lectures about the importance of reading or why we have to do it. He just did it and he loved reading. And that is what makes a good teacher. There's, there's this attitude that we want to have as we're imparting our heart for God for someone. It's the saying that more is caught than taught. It means you can't entrust like what you don't already have. Like if I don't love getting to know God, I'm not going to be able to give that to someone else. Because you can't pass it along. And if it's, if, all, if it's only up in your head, right, if following Jesus is just something that you think about, and it's something that we never do, we can't pass it on to other people. Because following Jesus is about loving him and obeying him, and it's an action, and it's a lifestyle. And so we have to go out and we do that. And so we need someone who loves to do that in all just genuineness. And now there might be people, like as you're looking for someone to make a disciple and invest your life in, they, sin, like, they sincerely might not be excited about following Jesus at first. Like they might be a new believer and they're like, man, like I'm kind, of, I'm kind of willing to learn and I want to learn. But it's just like reading with Mr. Schwepler. It is contagious, right? Like if you have a deep heart for God and you own it and you obey his word joyfully and you let someone else see that, they will be drawn to it if they love Jesus too. They can't help it because they'll want to continue to learn more and then they'll learn from you and you can show them how you do things, and you can show them how you live. And how does Paul know this, right? Like, how does Paul know this? Because he lived it himself. He invited Timothy to be a part of his life. He was a faithful man who taught others. And he finds Timothy, and he, Timothy is a faithful man. And he says, Timothy, follow me and learn from me. And then he says, Timothy, now you go find a faithful man. 
And then you help those faithful men teach other people. You help them be excited and and, and trust that to someone else. And what we see here is this idea of four generations, right? There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's faithful men, and there's others. And this is the idea that we're going for with making disciples. It's not just a one and done. We want it to continue to go. We want this to be a chain that more people are loving God and glorifying God. And more people are loving Jesus and walking deeply with him as a result. Because we said in the Great Commission, right, Jesus commands his followers to make disciples of all nations. And that sounds pretty much impossible, right? Like, it is a big world. Jesus, how, wants, how in the world do you expect us to reach 7 billion people with the good news? Like, that is crazy. I don't know how we're going to do that. But this is where the power of multiplication comes into place. And if you weren't great in math class, this is for you. Uh, if you share the gospel with over a thousand people every single day, do you know how long it would take to reach the entire world? 22,000 years. And that's finding a thousand people every single day. Like, I don't know where I'm going to find a hundred people every single day. I don't know where I'm going to find ten people every single day. That's, that's impossible. But if you find a faithful person and you invest your life into them, and you show them how to love Jesus. It starts with two people. And you start small. But then you both go out and you find two more faithful people. And you both reproduce your life. And then all four people do it the next year. By year three, you got eight people. We're looking pretty good. Small. But this is where multiplication happens. It becomes 16. And that becomes 64, I think. And I'm not going to keep going because I couldn't get enough black dots on that slide. But it starts to take off, y'all. It would take 32 years for over 8 billion people to be followers of Jesus. That is the power of spiritual multiplication. And that is, 30, that is every single person in the world understanding that Jesus loves them and walking deeply with him. I mean, that's amazing. We can't just let, like, one person try to do all this work. Like, if we give the work of trying to make disciples just to missionaries or just to pastors or people, it's like, man, that's someone else, right? Like, man, we, get, we miss out on so much of getting to be a part of it. We miss out on the game. And, and Paul, he's laying out this great framework, and then he's going to use these three lessons, actually, from professions that are common to this day to give us a picture of what making disciples is really like. And you might think, like, he's going to use something like a Roman senator, something with power, something with prestige, a good leader, Right, like maybe he's going to use some kind of a religious leader because it's all spiritual and stuff. Like maybe he's going to use a poet because like it's deep and philosophical. But instead he actually just uses three very physically demanding roles. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And those three roles, uh, the guys in here are like, yeah, soldier, athlete, farmer. That sounds sweet. Maybe girls are excited too. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe girls are excited about soldiers. Not sure. But why would Paul tell Timothy... Like, making disciples is similar to being a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. Why, why on earth would he use those roles? It's because he, he wants to show Timothy that there are things intrinsic, there are traits to each of those jobs and professions that are key in making disciples, that are key in walking deeply with Jesus. Let's start with the soldier in verse 3. It says, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one in military service gets entangled in matters of everyday life. Otherwise, he will not please the one who recruited him. What is God trying to tell us here? First of all, candidly, 
that making disciples will include suffering. Charlie mentioned last week that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from prison. He is about to be beheaded for being a follower of Jesus. And this is the thing, like despite the fact that Jesus came to free us from our sins and to give us a new life with him that lasts forever, and he says, I have come that you can have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly, and he wants to bless the world through his followers, the church, the message of Jesus has been and always will be unpopular. Why? Why is that unpopular? And it's because people want to live life on their own terms. And, and so when you hear the truth of, of God's word that we're sinners and we need a savior, it's uncomfortable. And so people push back. And so they're suffering. And Paul is telling Timothy, take your share of suffering. All of us have it. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a share of suffering that you will have to go through. And next, he's telling Timothy that a good soldier doesn't get entangled in matters of everyday life. Now, it, like, does that mean that I, if I live a life of making disciples, like, I can't get married, I can't have a family, I can't have jobs, I can't be involved in my community, I can't have fun? Absolutely not. Right? Like, actually, all of those things are things that can make you more effective as a disciple maker because you actually get opportunities to love other people and be around other people's life. And I actually, I want to say this as an aside really quick. Um, if you have children one day, those are the most important disciples that you will ever invest your life in. The most important disciples that you could ever make are your children, if you have them. If you are playing the church game and you neglect your family, that is one of the most damaging things you can ever do. I work as a pastor, and so I get to talk to a lot of people who have been hurt by the church. And what I find, more often than not, is not that they've been hurt by the entire church, but they were mostly hurt because their parents neglected them. And they were hurt because their parents claimed to love God, and they didn't invest in their own children and disciple them and train them in the way of the Lord. That is the biggest cause of bitterness and pain or hurt that I have ever heard as it comes to spirituality. Making disciples of your children is the most important disciple you will ever make. I want that to be clear. Because Paul's not saying here, he's not saying don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. He's not saying you have to live this life that's different and you can't have a job and you can't have a family. He's saying you live your life differently. He's saying that the lens that you do things through is now a follower of Jesus and how you work and how you raise your family and who you marry and where you live and where you work. All of these things are now filtered through following Jesus. And this the civilian pursuits is I get to do whatever I want but a soldier takes orders. And so as followers of Jesus, we say, I am going to take orders from Christ and live my life according to his orders. And why is that? Because we want to please him. And that actually takes us to the athlete, the next one. Uh, this is where Paul says, if, if anyone competes as an athlete, he will not be crowned as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. And now a lot of you here, if you're familiar with God's word, like you're going to have little sirens going off in your head. And you're like, you might think, oh, Nick's talking about pleasing God and like trying to earn this reward. Like, is he going to say that we have to earn our salvation, our relationship with Jesus? Absolutely not. You cannot ever do anything to earn a relationship with Jesus. That is always a gift. Like, there is nothing that we can do to earn that gift. It is a gift of God to us, and it's independent of anything that we've done. Actually, it's in spite of anything that we've done. God wants to give that gift. But 
The Bible teaches that all followers of Jesus will get a reward if we are faithful to him. And I don't actually know what that reward is. Like, the Bible is not clear on it. Uh, It's not health, it's not wealth, and it's definitely not popularity from what we know of the scriptures. But it will last forever, and it will be beyond anything that you could ever imagine. Any reward that you could ever try to get, this is so much better because we will get it from Jesus himself, and we will have it forever. And Paul is saying, compete to get that prize. And if we want it, we have to compete according to the rules, which means that we have to follow God's word. Like, because, hey, if, if we try to, like, love God, and I just think, man, like, Nick, the Bible's got a lot of stuff in it. I don't really know that I want to obey it. I just kind of want to love people, tell them about God loves them, and that's kind of my plan. But we continue to live our lives on our own terms, and we, our terms, and we don't turn from sin. We are competing incorrectly. And the Bible says that we will not get a reward. Luke mentioned this two weeks ago, but Paul was writing to another one of his disciples, Titus. He said in Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Which means that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to live differently. We have to compete according to the rules. Because just like an athlete trains, we have to be trained by the grace of God to live a set-apart life. And we have to do it in a specific way. Like, we cannot live for God on our own terms. If you try to leave here and you try to make disciples your way, you end up compromising on God's commands. Quite honestly, and you won't love other people, and you won't fight sin because you're going to do things your way. And those are not in obedience with God's commands. A great example of this is a guy named Lance Armstrong. Right, like it's kind of a dated reference. We all know the story. Amazing cyclist, right? Seven tours of France. And he finds out, or it's made known to him, or to the world, sorry, that he's been taking performance-enhancing drugs. And every single title is stripped away from him because he didn't compete according to the rules, because he wanted to do it his way. And now he could blame that on a lot of different people, but at the end of the day, whose responsibility was it? It was his responsibility. See, guys, God's commands are to love God. Right, like some of us, we, we kind of think this, back to flying a kite. You might think like, man, just like that kite string, like God's commands are just tying me down. Like I want to soar, I want to fly, I want to do my own thing. I don't want God's commands to tie me down. Do you know what happens if you cut a kite string? The kite nosedives and goes straight to the ground. And it ends up beaten and bruised because it plummets and it's not tethered. And it plummets. Again, if you try to make disciples out of your own strength or knowledge, or you try to love other people in God's name, but you don't obey his commands, you and other people will get hurt. Because ultimately what God cares about is loving him and loving others. Maybe that's your practical here today. Like, as I was saying this, you have that sin in your mind that you don't really want to fight. Like, you're just like, I haven't even said it, but you just know in your heart, like, you're, you're feeling the heat a little bit. That is God saying, hey, Fight that sin. Go and share that with someone that you want, like some close follower of Christ that you trust. And get rid of that sin because it will end up hurting you and other people so much more than you can ever dream of. So much more than it will hurt to cut that sin out of your life. We have to compete according to the rules if we want to get that reward. And then Paul finishes off with the farmer 
where he says, the farmer works, who works hard ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, we live in Kansas. We're the land of farmers. A lot of people are like, yes, farmers, let's go Kansas. There was actually a Super Bowl commercial a couple years ago that was about, like, loving farmers. One of my fraternity brothers was in it. And when that came on the screen, we went nuts for Trent Blythe. We absolutely celebrated. It was a great time. Uh, Kansas, we love our farmers, right? And a lot of my family, apparently we used to be farmers. Apparently we used to fly kites. Apparently we used to be farmers, too. I learned a lot about my family history. Uh, but this was several, several generations ago. And so if you're like me, though, you grew up in the city and you don't know anything about farming besides how to kill some flowers in your mom's flower bed. It happens. So you're probably not too familiar with how farms work. So farmers grow things to sell to other people. And you're like, thank you, Nick, for that great and insightful information. Right? But, but the key about being a farmer is that they have the first rights on anything they grow if they worked hard to grow it. And so if they grow tomatoes and they want some tomatoes for dinner, they get to take those tomatoes. And that's what Paul is saying here. The farmer who works hard ought to have the first share of the crops. Like, there will be a reward one day that we'll get in heaven from Jesus if we compete according to the rules. But there's also an immediate payoff. There's also this immediate, like, thing that we get to enjoy. And I, t I tell you guys, if you get involved in making disciples today, you will have some of the most joyful and life-giving experiences and relationships that you could ever dream of. Y you'll get to, to run alongside brothers and sisters in Christ who are just a part of a church and you have a community of people that care for you and you're all focused on loving Jesus and obeying his commands and you're doing it together and more than anything you just get to know Jesus because you get to see how he lived and you live as he lived making disciples and so you get to have an intimacy with God that I just I cannot put into words how special that is there's immediate payoff to getting involved in making disciples you reap the life that Jesus promises that he wants to give us when you get involved in making disciples. That's that crop that you get to be a part of. But I, I want to pause here and ask you all a question, right? Like, what happens if I don't make disciples? Like, if I don't do this, I want to be very, very clear. You are not holding God back from reaching anyone. God is not sitting up in heaven right now, wringing his hands, thinking, man, I wonder if they're going to leave the block tonight making disciples, because I just don't have enough people. I don't know what I'm going to do. God will reach those he wants to reach, whether you get involved or not. We're not hindering God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and you decide to not get involved in making disciples, you will miss out on a depth of closeness and friendship with God that, again, I just can't really describe. And if you're thinking that this gift of faith isn't really that cool and you're like me and you stuck it under the bed, it may be because you're not actually involved in the work that God is doing and you're not doing anything with him. This is where so much of the joy of following Christ comes from, is being obedient to his commands and living the way that he wants us to live. And we miss out on the reward. And again, we're not hindering God. God's going to reach who he's going to reach. But we want to be involved with it because we, we want to be a part of it. Right, like my, my niece, uh, Vivi, she's four. One time I was sweeping out my sister and my brother-in-law's garage. And uh, I had one of those big push brooms. And she comes along, she's probably about two at the time. And she's got a tiny little broom, right? And she is sitting there moving dirt back and forth. I've pushed dirt. She's just moving it right back where I put it. 
What do you think I said? Did I say, Vivi, stop doing that? No, I said, I let her keep doing it because I wanted her to be a part of what I was doing. And it is just the same with our relationship with God. God is the one who is reaching people and changing lives. And he just, he wants to be with us. And he wants us to be a part of it. Will making disciples be hard and have suffering? Yes. Will you have to fight sin and cut it out of your life? Yes. Will that be painful? Yes. Are other people's lives messy? Absolutely. Right? Like, if you get involved in making disciples, you will learn things about people that you're like, man, I didn't think I wanted to know that. And you're just like, what on earth, what on earth is happening? But then you start to realize that that's how you love people. And then you start to realize that that's how you get to know God more. And then you start to realize that there's an eternal payoff for that. And will that be worth it? Absolutely. It will always be worth it to get involved with doing what God is doing and making disciples. And it will bring life to you and to other people. Because it's just, it's special. It's getting to know God. And now at this point, like, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you're just thinking, like, what on earth? Like, why is anyone going to do this? This sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like a lot of complexity. I just kind of want to live my life and do what I want to do. And if you are a follower of Jesus or you claim to be, you're thinking, okay, this sounds impossible. Right? Like, honestly, Nick, this is a lot. Uh, this sounds like a really big task. I don't really think I'm up for this. And Paul actually has an answer for that in verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ. Y'all, the reason why we make disciples, why we put up with suffering, why we obey God at work and in our relationships and with our friends, why we fight sin, why we make disciples, why we invite other people into our lives is because Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And he took the penalty of death that we all deserve. And because he was raised to life, then we can have new life. And so everything that, that you've ever done wrong and everything that you're ashamed of that you lay awake at night and you just dread thinking about and everything that's ever done been done to you that hurts so deeply, you can find forgiveness and healing and freedom in following Jesus. And that is only found in Jesus. There is no other place where you're going to find healing or forgiveness besides Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, remember Jesus, because we have to walk and abide deeply with him the entire time we are trying to make disciples. Like, this is not just something that we do. Like, this is not just a lifestyle we live. It's not a mission that we're on. It is not just any of those things. It is depending on the God who loved you so much that he decided he wanted to suffer and die for you. And then was raised to new life. And you focus on him every single day every single moment, and you encourage the people around you, remember Jesus. That is why we do this. Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, for those chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. And here's the heartbreaking thing, y'all. Like I said earlier, not everyone will follow Jesus. There will not be 8 billion followers of Jesus in the world. It just won't happen. Like I said, people love their sin too much. But God promises us here in this verse that there will be people that will follow Jesus. And they will get to experience that same connection with him and that same life in him. And we press on because we want to be a blessing to those people and partner with what God is doing. Can you guys imagine what Timothy's thinking right now? Like, Paul, this sounds impossible. 
right? Like, I am not you. Like, surely I could never do this. People have imprisoned you, and they're probably going to come after me next. Uh, he's seen Paul go through, like, some very terrible things. He watched Paul get stoned. I am not talking about weed or marijuana. Stoned with rocks to death. He watched Paul get dragged out of a city and get beaten with stones. And he watched Paul stand up and go right back into the city that just stoned him to death. And you can imagine Timothy. Like Charlie said, he gets a bad rap sometimes. But it's like, man, that would be terrifying. And Paul is saying, do this as we suffer. And so Paul gives Timothy this poem to remember as we close. It starts off, it says, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. And y'all, this is the truth, that if you have decided to follow Jesus and you have given up your life to follow him and have accepted his free gift of salvation, you will live. You will have eternal life. You can take that to the bank. So death then isn't scary anymore because we'll live forever. And that's what Paul's saying. And he continues and he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. He's saying again, hey, there's a prize. Like, just stick in there. You just have to keep fighting according to the rules. But then the poem takes a turn that gets, it gets hard. And he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. And this is sobering, y'all, because there are going to be some of you who are going to leave those doors tonight. And you are going to say, Jesus is not who he says he is. Jesus is not the only way to eternal life. Jesus is not the king. But there's also some of you who are going to deny him with your actions. Like, you'll play the game, you'll say all the right things, you'll go to church, you might show up here on Thursdays. But when it comes down to it, in your thoughts and in your actions, you deny that Jesus is Lord because you've never given him control of your life. And the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is coming back one day, and when he comes back, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I, I don't want any of you to leave here tonight not understanding that Jesus is who he says he is, and those claims mean something for our life. It means that if Jesus is who he says he is, then we have one choice. It's either follow him or we get to pay the penalty of our own sin forever. And it means that if we ask him to change our life, then our lives have to change. And it's not something that we do. It's something that God does. But if we're continually denying him with our actions, I would cause you and I would encourage you to ask yourself, are you a, truly a follower of Jesus if nothing has changed? Now, this is where the poem closes, and, and Paul says, if we are unfaithful, and this is the one that really gets me, y'all, honestly, uh, because some of you, if you're like me, you read that first line, and your heart just sinks, right? Like, it just goes straight to the floor, because you know that you have eternal life in Jesus, and you know that you're trying to endure, and like, you know that you're not going to deny him, you know he is the Lord, but you just think, man, I just keep messing up. And I just keep having this sin that I have to keep fighting. And I keep messing up again and again and again. And because of that, you kind of just don't fight to know God. And you don't want to cut out sin. Because you know in your heart that you're being unfaithful to God. And so then you also don't want to invite other people to either invest in you or to reproduce your life into. Because you think, man, when they get to know me, they're going to see that I'm a sinner. And they're going to see all these things that I don't like about myself. Because I know at the end of the day that I've been unfaithful to God. And we look at this statement, if we are unfaithful, and we expect it to end just like the previous statement. And we think God doesn't want me anymore. I'm just too ashamed of what I've done. I can't be used by him to make disciples. 
But it continues and says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. Y'all, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you know how God sees you? He sees his own righteousness and holiness when he looks at you. And he sees that he, he gave that to you and he wiped away your sin. And what makes an effective disciple maker is not in a perfect person. Because those do not exist. I am not a perfect person. You are not a perfect person. The person who invited you here is not a perfect person. The people discipling you are not perfect people. The, Paul was not a perfect person. What makes an effective disciple maker is someone who relies on Jesus and what he's done. You fight sin in your life, not because you clean up your own self, but because you know that Jesus died on the cross for you, and he gives you the power to do it. And you go out, and you, and you fight, and you endure, because Jesus gives you the strength, and you rely on him. And you invite people into your life, knowing that they're going to see your sin, but you do it because you think, man, I've been forgiven. And let me tell you, that doesn't hold any shame over me anymore because I've been forgiven in Jesus. And you cut the sin out and you keep fighting and you're going to mess up and you ask Jesus to get you right back up on your feet and you keep going and you keep fighting and you keep trying to make disciples. Even if you're tired, even if you've worn down and even if you think that you can't be used by God, I promise you, if you are a follower of Jesus, he can use you to make disciples no, no matter what you have done. And I absolutely mean that. And we do it because it's right there in the end of the Great Commission. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He cannot leave you. He won't. He can't do it. So what are you going to do as a result of tonight? First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus, decide to follow him today. Like, don't wait. Tell him that you want to take your sin, or you want him to take your sin, and you want him to wipe away your shame, and you want to trust in him for eternal life, and you want to live a new life. And you tell him that and you ask him to change your life. That's, if you have not made that decision, that's your only application, honestly. Second, if you've never been discipled or trained by someone, find someone who knows what they're doing and ask them to disciple you. It doesn't matter if they are your age, if they're younger than you, if they're older than you. Find someone who loves God deeply and ask them to invest in your life. And then show up. Get, uh, get involved in a, a, just a healthy church that loves God and focuses on making disciples and show up and make sacrifices to be there and make sacrifices to get around that person. You have to be a disciple if you want to make disciples. Third, you go out and you keep sharing the gospel, with, which like Charlie talked about last week, it's just you communicate to people that Jesus has transformed your life and that he can transform someone else's life in the same way and you do it in a clear and a warm way and you keep doing that and then eventually you find someone who's a faithful follower of Jesus and you invest your life into them. And you let them be a part of your life. And throughout all of this, your final application is you remember Jesus. And you cling to him and you remember that we do all of this, making disciples, loving him, because we want to get to know him. Because he first decided to know us. I've got some discussion questions and then we're going to have a time of reflection after that. I would encourage you to talk with the people around you and consider what these things mean for you. And y'all go deep with this. Like it doesn't do you any good to just like answer the questions on the screen and, and not really go de deep into it. So I would encourage you to actually reflect on what you think that God is trying to tell you tonight. So in check out these discussion questions and I'm going to come up in a second. <laughs> All right, y'all. Hey, I, I'm...
positive that was not enough time to finish up those discussion, uh, those discussion questions. Uh, I would encourage you, keep talking about this afterwards. Uh, but we are going to enter into a time of reflection right now. Um, and I would just encourage you, we're going to be singing about the goodness of God. Right? And we're going to be singing about all the things that God has done, that we get to be a part of uh, what he's doing. And then we're going to be singing a song about how great is your love. And I would just encourage you guys, as you are singing those words, reflect on how amazing it is that God wants to use each and every one of you. And he wants to give you a gift that you can use to make disciples. And that he wants to have you be a part of that mission and that purpose because he just wants to know you deeper and he wants you to know him. It really is amazing and it's, it's nothing, like it's, there's nothing else that you can even begin to imagine and so I just encourage you, as we are singing these songs, you don't have to sing, right? Like if you're not a good singer, don't feel like there's pressure that you have to do it. Just sit there and you can just reflect on what you think God is teaching you tonight and what you want to do to walk out of here. But I would encourage you, if you have been transformed by Christ, consider how you want to celebrate that. Because that is something that we do as followers of Jesus. We sing and we celebrate because this is an amazing news. This is something that should get us excited and going. So if that's you, I would encourage you to do that. But if you just want to sit and reflect, that is totally up to you. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come up. Jesus, I, I am so grateful that you decided to know me first. Um, and God, that I couldn't do anything to know you. Um, but God, that you gave me a free gift of relationship with you, God. And I just... I, I pray that every single one of us here, God, I pray that we would go out and make disciples, God, not because we're perfect or God, not because we know everything that we're doing, God, but because we love you and we walk deeply with you, God. And if there's anyone here tonight who is not following you, God, I pray that you would be working on their heart right now, God, that they would come to know you, God. And if there's anyone here who feels discouraged or feels like they can't be used to make disciples, God, I pray that they would see that your grace is sufficient and that you are forgiving and that you will not be faithless because you can't deny yourself. And God, I pray that they would get active in making disciples, God, so they get to experience the joy now and forever of what it means to partner with you and what you're doing. I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for your goodness to us and for your love for us. And I pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen.